This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hey there, welcome into episode 20 of Small Talk. We're, we're in the 20s now. We're in, we're in a great part of our youth still, but you know, aging gracefully. Um, sorry for the absence of the pod last week. I was in LA, I was home in St. Louis for one day, and then got back on a plane, went to Bristol for Saruti's wedding, and then into New York City standard for me. Things were just really crazy schedule-wise, and we weren't able to kind of bring it all together for a podcast, so apologies. But we're back this week, and... Honestly, we have to kick three random things off with what we saw in the sports world last night. It's only fair. The Boston Red Sox winning the ALCS, defeating the Houston Astros. The Red Sox are headed to the World Series for the first time since 2013. So naturally, we have to give the platform to Tommy Freeze Pops. I'm sure he's hungover. I'm sure he's gloating. Tom, how are you feeling? Are you alive? It is a beautiful day in Boston, Massachusetts, Michelle. Let me tell you. Ah, what a morning. What a day. The sun is shining. You're feeling great. Ah, it's a crisp 40 degrees. (laughs) And uh, I woke up this morning actually to go fill up my CO2 tank for uh, the kegerator we have in the house. Perfect. And, uh, you know, I open the front door, take a big sniff. Ah, just uh, feels great to be a champion, Michelle, let me tell you. Well, you're, the not, pennant, you're not a the true pennant champion, is, uh, is ours. Listen, the AL is ours. We're going to enjoy this today. If there's anyone that knows anything about being a champion, it's us up here in Boston, okay? We know that there's more ahead. But we're going to enjoy today because that's what we do. You know what, Tom? Last night I was sitting there watching that game. It was an unbelievable ALCS, full of intrigue, drama, just some great games, some great performances. How about Jackie Bradley Jr.? But we'll get to that. Anyway, right? But I'm watching the game last night, and clearly I hate the Boston Red Sox. And I hate the Boston Red Sox solely because they provided two terrible sports losses to my town, to St. Louis, in 04, and then in 13. And 13 really rankles me because the Cardinals beat themselves by pitching to Big Poppy consistently, but let's table that for another conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just, you know, I'm ingrained to really dislike Boston and the Red Sox specifically. And I'm watching the ALCS last night, and I'm thinking to myself, man, that Jackie Bradley Jr., so likable. You know who's so fun to watch? Mookie Betts. Benintendi, great. Alex Cora, so happy for that guy. I mean, obviously, Pedroia we can't like, and David Price is pretty unlikable. But I came into this conversation today, Tom, going to tell you that I really like this Boston Red Sox team. And then you opened your mouth and reminded me how insufferable (laughs) Boston is, how insufferable Boston fans are. And now I hope you lose terribly in the World Series. You know what, Michelle? I don't care. I don't care at all. Hate us all you want. We're the ones with the rings. We're the ones playing for the titles. Go ahead. The AL is ours, and now the World Series is going to be ours. Dodgers, Brewers, please. Don't you... stand a chance. This team is on fire. We just went into Houston and won three games to win the American League. No one thought that was happening. This team has balls. I love this team. We're winning the championship. Well, medically, yes, they do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. It's a great team. They seem unstoppable right now. They're so fun to watch. However, I mean, JPJ was the MVP of the ALCS. It's unbelievable. The man is is terrible at hitting, and he he looks so locked in right now. David Price just won the clinching game. I know. What? Are we living in a bizarro world right now? You pretty much it's are. Unbelievable. I know. Heading into that game last night, he had five RBI in the whole month of September, and he had nine <laughs> just this week. He had nine. 
Yeah, you don't need to. You don't need to tell me. I, I just spent you know the entire summer watching every single game up for this team, and this man, I'm telling you, is the worst hitter maybe I've ever seen. <laughs> maybe I mean Mark Bellhorn is up there. There's a few other guys. Uh, you know, Stephen Drew had his moments as being one of the worst hitters I've ever seen. But JBJ this season alone has been god awful. And, uh, you know, it's just been unbelievable to see what he's been able to do. It, it's, I, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. But here we are. Is there uh, an opponent you would prefer, Dodgers or Brewers? Um, it's interesting. So I think I'd rather play the Brewers because, I mean, with, I know Kershaw's had his postseason woes, but I just – Kind of just want to stay away from that, you know. Mm-hmm. I'd rather I'd rather see the Brewers. They're they're still kind of like the new team on the block to me, in a sense. I mean, they've been great all season, but um, can confirm, yes. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'd rather see the Brewers. Well, I would rather see the Brewers because it's difficult for me to cheer for the Dodgers. Uh, David Freeze excluded. Um, but yeah, I'm really pulling for the Brewers. They're a very fun and interesting team. I've watched them all year, and I feel that I can fully put my rooting interest behind them with a clear conscience and really just hope for the demise of the Red Sox now. That's fair. I mean, I actually, I don't know if you knew this about me, Michelle, but the Dodgers have always kind of been the NL team that I really like. Uh, we're going to have to uh, change of, that soon. Well, yeah, that will change. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. It's, it's going to be, you know, my my life is going to be dependent on the Cardinals' success, really, moving forward. So Correct. they're probably going to quickly become my NL team. Mm-hmm. But I've always kind of pulled for the Dodgers because they're always late at night. And Dave Roberts is the manager there, obviously. Love Dave Roberts. And when I did my... Uh, semester out in LA that was when Puig kind of came on the scene oh yeah so like it was Puig mania out there so I was all in on the Dodgers that whole time I was watching all the Vin Scully games so previously if the Red Sox weren't in it I'd be pulling for the Dodgers but now that the Red Sox are you know four wins away from a World Series I'd rather stay away from the Dodgers because you know I know the team pretty well and I feel like eh, I just mm, I don't want to really play them I, I give me give me the the Friendly Midwesterners to beat up on. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be easier, I guess, in your mind. Um, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, random thing number one, the Sox are headed to the series. Good for you. Congrats. Thank you. Thank uh, you. I appreciate it. So, random thing number two, we'll make this quick, but our boy Saruti, he's a husband. I was at the wedding last weekend in Connecticut. All of our old co-workers were there. Well, I shouldn't say all of them. Some of them chose not to come. Um, but <laughs> No, not all of them were there, obviously. Like, people had other engagements. Listen, I heard Rosillo call out the burn that you gave him on his podcast this week. And that was, that was a good burn by you. Not going to lie. I mean, it's true. It's true. Look, I, you, you, you came with the facts. There's no denying, you know, everything you said there. So, you know, what, what is he going to do? He's got to kind of take his medicine there. That's true. Um, but, no, congratulations to Steve and Maddie. They are now an, uh, officially a married couple. They're celebrating their their wedded bliss out in Hawaii. So he's not with us this week. But hopefully when he gets back, we will have a full post-show pod breakdown of Saruti's wedding. Because let me tell you, there's some stories. And let me tell you, some good nuggets came out of that wedding. Oh, very nice. Well, Saruti looks like he's living his best life out in 
uh, Hawaii on Instagram. He's really thawing out right now. He is thotting out. And thank you, Tom, for pointing that out because I was certainly taking some notes on his attire choices, on his camera angles. Like, we get it, Steve. The landscape is great. You know, the wide sweeping views, we get it. It does look sick, though, not going to lie. I didn't realize how nice Hawaii was. I've had a million friends go there, but holy crap, Hawaii is sick. (laughs) Breaking news, Hawaii is sick. Um... No, but I just have to bring this up to to put the cherry on top of random thing number two, Steve's wedding. Our boy cried. Oh, wow. Okay. We made a bet about it. He cried. He cried That's as a- she walked down the aisle. I have photo evidence of him when they first started doing the ceremony, holding hands, gazing lovingly into one another's eyes. Maddie looked up twice. She had to wipe tears from Steve's face. Wow. It was a beautiful moment. I'm surprised. I really am. I'm not. Because I know Steve. While he is certainly even keeled and very pragmatic, Maddie's the love of his life. And this was a monumental moment. And Steve is self-aware enough to know what that means to really grasp the magnitude of it. And I think he was just overcome with emotion. Wow. Well, good for him. I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad that I was able to be there in a flat capacity as well. Yes, you know what? Flat freeze pops was kind of the life of the party. We have many photos of flat freeze pops just getting down. Although it looks like my my face got a little scrunched up there at a certain point, which I think actually adds to the whole thing. I'm kind of happy that it got kind of messed up there. It looks like I was having a good time. You were. Listen, I had to throw you in my purse. I felt really weird. <laughs> when I was not at the ESPN table, it felt very weird walking into the ceremony with your face on a flat yep. Stanley body attached to a stick. <laughs> I got a lot of stares. Uh, so I thought, you know what? I'm going to put this in the purse until we get to the table. Uh, and you got a little banged up. But you know what? Yep. I imagine if you were at the wedding, you would have gotten banged up. So I thought it was apropos. Yep. Very fair. Okay, so let's move along to random thing number three. So I've been on kind of a whirlwind travel stretch here. Uh, I'm very tired. I'm looking forward to just kind of hibernating for a while. Um, But anyway, before I went to Connecticut for Steve's wedding and then New York, I was in L.A. the weekend before. And I hadn't been to L.A. in like five, six years. It had been a while. And I always hear this and that about L.A. People either really, really love it or they really hate it. And I went in. With kind of a neutral palette. I didn't really know what to expect. I, I went into it with open arms. And I feel like I've been a lot of different places in my life. I have never been more confused by a place than I am L.A. I can't hmm. figure out L.A. And let me tell you why, Tom. So if you're in New York and you say, I'm going to have brunch in the West Village and then I'm going to shoot over to Brooklyn. You know exactly how to get there. You know exactly roughly how long it's going to take. You can map out your day. When you're in L.A., if you're like, oh, guess where I'm going to go down from downtown to Manhattan Beach? You pull up your GPS. It says, oh, however, 10 miles. It'll take you roughly this long. It does not take you that long. It takes double, sometimes triple to get there. And yes, this is not breaking news that there's traffic in L.A., but I found Mm -hmm. it to be so claustrophobic because you can't move about freely. It it blew my mind. Yeah, they never really figured out the public transit out there. Um, Although I will say, you know, when I was living there, everyone's like, oh, traffic is so bad, so bad. Like, it's really, yeah, okay, it's bad, but... I've lived in Boston, in the Boston area for a long time. I lived in Hartford for two and a half years. 
The traffic is really bad there, too. No, it's And the not. traffic is really bad in New York. No, it's the not. The traffic is bad everywhere. It's Michelle. not. It's, it's not. really not. I'm telling you, I lived in L.A. for four and a half, five months. It, it really isn't that much worse than it is up here in Boston or New York. It really isn't. So I, I know it, it, people say traffic, oh, it's so bad. So bad. It's really it's kind of just bad anywhere. If you're in a big city, it's kind of just bad. And the only reason why it's bad in Hartford is just they never m- mapped out the roads correctly for people going from New York to Boston every single day. That's that's a whole other issue. But L.A. traffic, overrated. Okay. Overrated. You, you, nice. You <laughs> couldn't be more incorrect, Tom. First, I'm telling you, I first, lived no. there for Tom, five months. It's not that bad. It's, I mean, it's bad. It, it, it is it's definitely bad. bad. It's really but, bad. But it's just you, you, treat, you treat it the same way you treat traffic anywhere. I'm telling you, it's real... It, once you're there for a while, you get used to it. You, you really get used to it. And, I mean, I can understand why coming from, I mean, you've been in, back in St. Louis for, what, almost a year now? Like nine weird. months, ten months, right? Yeah, weird. You're, you're, like, not used to this type of traffic. When, when you're there for a while, you just kind of you go with the flow. And one, one L.A. tip I'll give you, and, I mean, I'm acting like a, this big L.A you know, snob here, but it's, it's good tip. Plan your day to stay in certain areas. Like don't try and do a downtown LA, go to Manhattan beach jaunt, like try and just have all of your activities be in certain locations for, uh, you know, long stretches, you know, like if you're going to be in downtown LA, spend like six hours there doing everything you can do. And then later that night, figure out taking the Uber to the next part of town if you're going to go be in another part of town. Or, like, during the day, you know, be by, you know, Santa Monica Pier. And then at night, you know, go back to your place, get ready, and then go out in West Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like, that that's kind of the way to do L.A. It's not like New York where you can just bounce around everywhere. And, again, I would argue New York and New York traffic bouncing around still just as bad as bouncing around in L.A. But... It's not like New York in that respect where you can just get on the subway or take an Uber and it's a little bit easier to get from point A to point B. You got to kind of map out your day to be in the different parts and kind of just stay there. Okay, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> and that's lame. I don't want to be sequestered or But there's a lot to do in those areas. It's bit, that's that's one of the great things about LA. It's big and there's a lot of stuff to do in all these little areas. You're not like sequestered and you shouldn't feel claustrophobic. There's a lot to do in those little parts. Okay, fine. If you go to Venice, you can spend 10 hours in Venice. Sure, but what if there's something I want to do in Venice and then I want to meet people in downtown LA? It's going to ruin your whole day. And I'm saying, <laughs> and in Hartford, you to even compare LA traffic to Hartford is Hartford just traffic is blasphemous. So bad. Tom, so bad. Tom. 84? Okay. Come on. Tom, as someone that lived in downtown Hartford for almost three years, there is zero traffic in Hartford other than that two exit stretch from downtown Hartford until 84 where everyone migrated to get on the road to go to Boston. Oh my that's God, it's legendarily it. bad though. But it's that's so bad it. over there. It's two exits. It's not going to ruin your day. You're never going to say, ooh, can't travel through Hartford today because of the traffic. No. There would be certain times of day when I, when I would be leaving ESPN and I'd be going up to Boston for the weekend. And if I didn't get on the road by a certain time, I would go home and wait like two hours before I could go just so I could miss that legendary, horrible, horrible stretch in Hartford. But it, I mean, there were people that would be coming in for the night shift that would come in like two hours early to avoid that traffic. It, it was really bad. Well, that seems excessive. 
to come in two hours early to avoid a two-exit stretch of traffic that's not that bad. And also, but, Michelle, I know, but the times of day that you came in, I mean, what was it? The, the, the show was one to four, so we would come in kind of after that, you know, really bad traffic stretch. And then when you were producing the night show, you would kind of miss that, too, when you would come in. So I, I feel like you didn't really experience the really, really terrible traffic every single day. No. I mean, of course you did. You lived in Hartford, but like on a <laughs> on an everyday level, you know, I don't think that you you fully are appreciating how bad that stretch of road is on 84. Tom, no one has disdain for Hartford the way that I do. I take every possible <laughs> opportunity to blast Hartford. If the traffic was bad in Hartford, I would say, you know what sucks about Hartford? The traffic. It's oh not that God. bad. Oh my it's not God. That bad. I can't believe you're, te- you're, you're dying on this hill, Michelle. It's so bad. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Also, New York, sure, traffic can get bad in spots in New York, but it's not that bad. It doesn't derail oh you. You God. can move in a cab or an Uber or a Via pretty freely. And if not, guess what? You have the subway. It's not even <laughs> comparable to California. Not to mention, most of the traffic you're experiencing in New York is coming in or out of the city when you're in a vehicle, but you have other options. I'm talking specifically when you're in the city. When you're in LA, it's I don't know it was very weird I gave you a good tip I mean it's not that great of a tip (laughs) it is a good tip just chill in your spot you know it's hey get a place here and then never leave it enjoy (laughs) not you're bouncing around too much you were trying to do too much you can't do you can't do everything in L.A. in what? How long were you there? Two, three days? I'm not trying days? to do everything, but I certainly was trying to go <laughs> from downtown to see people. Then I went to um, to watch college football at Sedano's, up at the hills somewhere, and, and then down to the beach. I mean, I was just trying to get to the places <laughs> I needed to get to to see the people I needed to see. And boy, was it a task. It was a task. <laughs> I'm telling you. Got to take my tip next time. That's a, that's a free one for you. That's a free one for the listeners as well. <laughs> Honestly, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That what? You, Are you kidding me? That's that, such a good tip. That you call, hey, when you get to L.A., stay in one spot. That's not a tip. Yeah, definitely is a tip. Spend like almost half a day somewhere. That's when, Then you make your move. You can't hit like four or five spots in one day. You're going to go crazy. Find a place. Hang out there for a while. Hit all the spots in that area. There's a lot to do in every single area, but you just got to kind of stay there. Do your thing. That's a good tip. Sounds vibrant. All right. Well, let's dip out of this because we've got to get Randy Scott on the line. You've seen him on ESPN, on SportsCenter. You've heard him on ESPN Radio. You may have seen him in a stand-up comedy club in Southern Florida. We'll explain more about that later. But he's going to join us next. Take 101 ESPN on the go with the all-new 101 Sports app. See the latest videos, listen to podcasts, and join the conversation with the 101 Sports app. When I was in Bristol last week, I tried to catch up with this guy to grab a nice coffee and have a little chat, a little catch-up. But unfortunately, he wasn't on campus, so we're going to have to reconvene via phone from two different places. But I'm so fired up to chat with Randy Scott from ESPN. You've seen him on SportsCenter, and you've heard him on ESPN Radio, and it's always great to catch up with him. So, Randy, how are you? Thanks for joining me today. What's up? So what do I, do I call you Smalls? Yeah. Smallman? 
What are we doing? Call me what? Call me small, smallman. You can call me Michelle. Whatever, whatever you feel like doing, Randy. Okay, okay. Well, you were like obviously when you were in Bristol, you were the boss, <laughs> and I was constantly trying to do whatever I could to make sure I was invited back. And I know like Ryan had a big say in that, and obviously you had a big say in it too. So it was sort of like, all right, let's be on our best behavior. I feel like now we can sort of get real. I feel like we can, you know, like what happens when people stop being nice, start being real. So we're on the real world and we're getting loose. <laughs> exactly. Yes. What did you call me in Bristol? I don't even remember, Michelle. Toward the toward the end, it was Smalls. <laughs> I think you made the mistake of saying you didn't like it. Like I think. Oh no, that was or, a different nickname that we shouldn't do a deep dive on. We're not going to do a deep dive on that. Okay, cool. Why? Well, oh, you it was, know what it is. You know. You I don't remember. Know. I'm sure. Right, I don't know. Well, I'm now sure. I obviously have to reveal it, but so. No. All of our Rosillo and Canal teammates would give me a hard time because one day one of them called me Shelly. And <laughs> I don't like that nickname. It's a very weird thing. No disrespect to all the Shellys out there. Um, I don't know. It just it just seems so weird to call me Shelly. And so then, of course, they called me Shelly every single day. And when I was oh. in Connecticut for Saruti's wedding, first thing I got from Ray, one of our bosses in Bristol, was, Hey, Shelly, how you been? Can't escape it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's the revealing any semblance of weakness, any sort of, like, vulnerability. You're in amongst jackals, uh, <laughs> and you you held your own. Like, obviously, like, you ran the place for so long. So, like, yeah, that uh, that name that I won't use, Thank you know, you. she who shall not be named, right? Like, I'm not going to do that. But I thought Smalls was a good one. I mean, did I tell you that I finally got to interview Patrick Renna, the actor who played the Hambino in Sandlot? No, you did not. What? Yeah. 25th anniversary. This year is the 25th anniversary of that movie coming out. So I was, or maybe it's the 30th. Is it the 30th? No, I think it's the 25th. But either way, so I was like filling in on Levitard show, doing one of these, you know, Dominique Foxworth in Baltimore, uh, the shipping container. And maybe he was in D.C. Shipping container in Miami. I'm in Bristol, like split of a split show. And they were like, hey, what guest do you want? I said, well, this guy's been everywhere this summer sort of promoting the anniversary edition. Do you think we could get him on? And it was right around the time. Did you see that mug shot of the actor who played uh, Goldberg in Mighty Ducks? Oh, my gosh. It was so sad. It was super sad. And I was like, well, maybe that's the peg. Like, this mug shot's everywhere. Let's sort of ask a success story of a child actor who, like, has a great life and a family and, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, and he was so happy to come on. And I was like, I was just completely nerded out. And he was great about it. Like, you know how you get, like, like, I have a feeling if we got David Schwimmer for an interview and we asked him 1.5 friends-related questions, he'd hang up. Because I think he doesn't want to be identified as, like, he doesn't want to be Ross from Friends for the rest of his life. Patrick Renna was like, yeah, Hambino, what about it? Let's go. And he was just really cool with it. Well, first of all, David Schwimmer can get off his high horse because he is Ross forever, and he should be really fired up that he had such an iconic character. Uh, but right? I, th- I think with The Sandlot, though, really, the- that was the peak of a lot of those kids' careers. Not many of them went on to do much more. I know they probably had a spot in a film here or there, but that was really, like, the highlight of their professional lives. Yeah, there were a couple Law & Order, you know, Law & Order SVU sort of... <laughs> deals you know as they got older like early 20s i think the guy who played small actually i think he was like a an accused on law and order svu he, he would be you know um and then uh yeah but you're right like benny jed rodriguez no you don't see him much uh yeah yeah where's that guy i don't know so but that was formative for me anyway yes the nickname that you don't like which i don't even 
think is a nickname for Michelle. I think it's like a standalone deal, but whatever. I have two first names, so forget it. Oh, okay. We need to dive into that quickly, though. Did I ever tell you that Benny the Jet Rodriguez was my first crush? Um, no, but I don't think you're alone. I don't think you're alone in that. Like that's a strong sort of boy next door athlete. I see that. But with a heart of gold, who includes oh, yeah. everyone and really just loves the game. Yep, absolutely. Colorblind, all of it. Mine was, I think it was, do you remember Al from Step by Step? I don't, but let me Google it quickly. Christine Lakin, L-A-K-I-M. Oh, my God. For sure. I can't believe Christine Lakin from Step by Step was your first crush. I think she was. I think she, I think I was more into her than, like, Topanga. Like, whatever it was, what? it was obviously that Friday night TGIF lineup because I was that age. So it's not, trust me, it's not weird. I know it probably sounds weird now. But at that point, like, Topanga was too, she was like Phoebe before I was allowed to watch Friends. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she was, like, trippy of the earth. Like, parents went to Woodstock. And I was like, no, the tomboy from Port Washington, Wisconsin, mixed family, step-by-step. Let's, let's let's go with that. Okay, so Randy, I just Googled Christine Lakin, and two observations here. One, she's aged incredibly well. Um, if you didn't have, you? yeah, if you didn't have such a gorgeous wife, I would tell you to go for it. Uh, num- <laughs> number two, you can't convince me that Christine Lakin is not Brittany Snow. Like they are identical twins. Brittany Snow, Brittany Snow. You probably Were know you- her from Hairspray. She's she sings. She was in Pitch Perfect. Okay, now you're speaking my language. Pitch perfect. I don't think I've seen Hairspray. Okay, no, well, sure. get on that. I mean, John Travolta <laughs> dresses as a woman, as an overweight woman. Oh, I have seen that. It's set in Baltimore. I've seen it. You see, okay. I am going to put together a side by side of Christine Lakin and Brittany Snow, um, <laughs> Christine Lakin as an adult, and let you guess yeah. which one it is. I will text that All to right. you when we're done here. Okay, but circling back, yeah, your name is Randy yeah. Scott. You have two yeah. first names. How has that yeah. been for you? Is that is that ever a difficult thing? When people are with you, do they say, hey, Scott, and do you turn around? I mean, I've never heard anyone call you call you Scott, and I feel like you have to, when you have two first names, say the entirety of someone's name when you're addressing them or speaking about them. You, honestly, since you left, that first and last name stuff has diminished a little bit. Like, it's not as, it's not as common, but you do that all the time. You're like, what's up, Randy Scott? And I'll be like, hey, what's up, you know. What do we have? Where's Ryan? You know, like that sort of like it was that. I mean, it's it's not awesome, and it's and people and people sometimes like Marty Smith. Sorry, pick up that name I just dropped, but Marty Smith <laughs> will will he'll call me Randall, and it's from um, an Eric Church song about uh, going to Talladega. Group of friends in high school. I think the song is called Talladega, but he calls me Rock and Randall, and like that's not. I can't even say that that's my name. Like that's the full name. It's Randolph. Like, Randolph. So, for me, the two first name thing, like, growing up, it was more when people found out my name was Randolph, then it was like, oh, Randolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, totally. Randolph and Mortimer from uh, Trading Places, that, that 80s movie. Like, it's not it's not awesome. So, like, but that's how I'll know um, that people don't know me. Um, and I mean that just in terms of, like, doctors, you know, like, waiting office or waiting room. It's like, all right, um, Scott? Or I'm uh, looking for Scott Randolph. You get those calls. You're like, oh, this is 100% a sales call. Sure. Let me get Scott Randolph on the phone for you. Is Randolph to you what Shelly is to me? 
But that name for you, notice I'm doing whatever I can not to say it. That name for you <laughs> is not even like, it's not even your name. and It's not even a nickname for your actual name, which in itself stands alone. So like, yeah, like Randolph is a third, I guess Randolph is a third rail for me, like it is for you. And like, I remember working with, oh man, like you, do you remember the ENPS system oh, at course. ESPN? Yes. Okay. So like, it's not just ESPN. It's like a broadcast rundown technology that yeah. like any TV station can use. And it's really whatever. But, like, you can communicate via, like, they're called top-line messages. And my top-line name, is it, it gets assigned to you by your by your station or your work, right? So, like, ESPN gave me a top-line that was Randolph Scott. And so people would try to send me stuff. Like, you get stats or you get, like, mid-show notes about updates or breaking news or whatever. And they'd be like, I can't find you in top-line. What's your name? And sometimes it's an initial or middle initial or whatever. So people couldn't find me because they're looking for Randy Scott, and they would get... They would have to go to Randolph Scott. And then as soon as somebody found that, like, they could latch onto it. And if I, if I let them know it bothered me, forget about it. It was over. So do you get a lot, too, when people will say, oh, Randy Scott, two first names. Oh, you can never trust a guy with two first names. <laughs> I feel like that people say that all the time. So do you get that yeah. often? Oh, yeah. And you get it from people that, like, you don't really want to, like, talk to. Like, you're bleary-eyed. Like, for me, like, bleary-eyed, like, Starbucks opens at 5 in Southington, Connecticut, and, like, I'm there at 5.05, maybe, to get coffee and fuel up because I don't sleep. And, like, the person there is just way too chipper, and they're like, oh, man, it's good. Ooh, I don't know, two first days. Like, I'll be like, if I ask for a, hey, can I get, like, maybe the milk isn't out yet. Like, hey, can I get the can I get the 1% or whatever? And they're like, oh, two first names is going to give it that. You know, like that. And you're like, oh, my God. I need this interaction to end as soon as possible. Uh, first of all, calm down, Starbucks. Number two, way too early for that. Way too early for that at 5.05 a.m. So yes, way too early. So wait, when you were in New England, I don't mean to like flip the script on the question and answer, but when you were in New England, did you were you Duncan or were you Starbucks? Okay, I'm really glad that you brought this up because this is something that I wanted to discuss with you because I know you're a coffee person. Uh, we're gonna to. we're gonna get to your preferences later because that's something that I need your help with. But okay. I can't understand the obsession in New England with Dunkin' Donuts coffee. It's way better in Boston than it is anywhere else, and it's actually really pedestrian coffee. It is not great. It's it's like moderate or mediocre at best. Yeah, like okay, so I live up outside Boston, so I can't, like, I have to I have to still be able to go home, and I have to be able to show my face there, so I can't, like, come on the podcast. Are we allowed to cuss? Of course. We are? Yes. Well, all right, this will be like, this is like a middle school cuss. I can't come on the podcast and be like, I'm going to crap on Dunkin' Donuts coffee or Dunkin' Donuts anything, but, like, there's a reason that they're moving into a different beverage space right now. They're starting to test this out in Boston where... There are going to be some actually like some Dunkins that taking donuts off the marquee, and they're going to make them uh, coffee during the day and like beer at night, like craft brew. And to me, if your coffee was great enough to build an empire on it, like you probably stick with the coffee, right? But what they did was they stopped, and I don't know when it was, but my wife can sort of pinpoint it because she went to uh, undergrad and she went to grad school in Boston, where they got away from like actually like roasting beans a certain way with flavors in them and mm. just going to the like syrup mixes for flavor. And once they did that, they just went with like 
a certain quality of coffee bean. I'm not a coffee snob by any means, but like a certain quality of coffee bean, and that was just it. Like that was their, that was their. I don't even know how to describe it. Like in the military, you'd call it like a certain color green paint. They just went with that. Like that was their green paint. That was it. And then they would just put in whatever flavor you wanted, and there you go. Mass quantities, and you could teach anybody to make it. That's a fascinating breakdown because when I first got to Connecticut, Randy, I went to Dunkin' Donuts to get an iced coffee. And every like three, four blocks in New England, there's a Dunkin' Donuts. And in St. Louis, yeah. we, you know, you have Dunkin' Donuts around here, but it's not a thing like it is in New England. New England runs on Dunkin'. We get it. So I ordered <laughs> an iced coffee. It was the size of my head and it was white. I mean, it had like yeah. a tinge of coffee color in it. it. They basically filled it half with milk, half with sugar, put like a sprinkle of coffee on the top, shook it up and gave it to me. I felt like a little yeah. kid who had gotten candy for the first time and was up all night. <laughs> well, I mean, you probably were. Yeah, you probably were. Totally, but I was like, this is not coffee and this is That's really gross. It is. It is like, and I've, I've, that happened to me when I first started drinking coffee and uh, I was living in Florida. I was working like... I was working like 60, 70 hours, 70 hours a week. It was nuts. But like, I was like, all right, iced coffee. And for me, it's iced coffee year round. I cannot do, I cannot do hot coffee. But when I first moved up from Florida to Boston, I was like, yeah, Duncan, it's the only way to go. And yeah, you just have like a bad experience in terms of, I actually wanted some coffee with my milk and I wanted some coffee with my sugar. And also it, it wasn't as strong. Like for me, I will go wherever I can get the most caffeine in an iced coffee. And then like, as I've gotten a little bit older and figured out that I have a, I like have a, I mean, it's kind of weird, but I have like a, I like a stomach acid issue sort of thing where like, I need to go cold brew because it's less acid, but oh, it also happens to have more caffeine. It's like, great. So that's kind of why I have to go to, I have to go to Starbucks. So you're a year-round iced coffee guy. So even in the dead of winter in Connecticut, when you're dealing with yeah. a blizzard, you're the one that's like, you know what? Throw some more cubes in there. Yeah, yeah. because because I'm not slamming it down like <laughs> like a shot at like a Deadwood bar in North Dakota in 1820. Like it's I'm I'm drinking that thing. I'm I'm carrying it around like I'm carrying it around like the mom on weeds, right? I'm carrying it around like all day because and so it's got to last like what would you rather do would you rather heat up a hot coffee four or five times or would you rather just have an iced coffee that you can sip on for like four or five hours like that's that's what i got so i understand you, like, you know yeah i understand your logic there but the cold in new england is the kind of cold that as soon as it hits you it kind of settles in your chest and in your stomach and you can't yeah. really get out of it until you take a hot shower or you like lay in your bed for three hours and you get enough body <laughs> heat in there so the fact that yeah. you would want to kind of supplement that cold by providing your insides with more cold is really something i can't understand all right so marathon michelle like you're out there like you're logging serious miles outdoor running <laughs> So you're telling me you never ran in the cold because that feel that, and I feel that anytime I'm running around, like after my kids or whatever outside, if it's if it's like in the 50s, I feel that. So I can't imagine these people who train for the like Boston Marathon year round and they're running outdoors and they're getting their miles in in the winter. Forget about it. Well, you're giving me way more credit than I deserve because I do not run in the cold. I'm a big baby, and I don't really train. I very stupidly just kind of sign up for these things, and I'll run once or twice leading up to it and be like, well, all right, I'll survive. Oh, you're that. Oh, you're the, 
you're like, yeah, just eat whatever I want. And I never gain any weight. I don't oh, get it. No, I don't no. know. No, no, let's not take it that far. It's you, it's wow, <laughs> Michelle, you're really lazy and procrastinate, and you have a half marathon coming up, and you say, hmm, I'll run twice in two weeks and hope for the best. But I don't care about my time. <laughs> I'm never the girl that's going to have the 13.1 bumper sticker. Yeah. I, I don't talk about pacing. Like, I don't care. Just get me across the finish line, and then we'll go to brunch afterwards. It's it's such an unnatural thing to do to your body. Like I'm so impressed with people who do it. So I don't care. Thirteen point one, twenty six two, whatever more like divisions of that is. Like go ahead, rep it, throw it on your car. I'm good. <laughs> Actually, you running around after your kids and just the hours you keep with Sports Center. I mean, you would go from being a dad to Sports Center so early in the morning, and then you'd come in and do radio. And then I know you have an insane commute. What's your commute, Randy? It's like an hour and a half or something each way. Yeah, it's it's 110 miles each way. So I live, like I said, like outside Boston, like Metro West area by this one super sort of foofy, fancy mall. And uh, But it's close to the turnpike. So, like, I can – I just hop on the – you know, like, I have to be at Bristol by about, like, 4, 4.15 in the morning. And the show's at 7 a.m. And for three hours, so you got three hours of stuff to prep for. Because some people are like – Oh, it's at seven. Like, why don't you show up at six? Like, because I'm not a jerk. Like, <laughs> you have to, you know, like, you just show up and expect other people to write your stuff. And uh, you have to look at the highlights before you go on and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's like wake up at one thirty and get ready and out the door a couple minutes after 2 and drive down. Usually I have to stop for gas, stop for coffee. Uh, you know, so I've, I, I drink a lot of bad, like, Mass Pike rest stop coffee. So that's why you think Dunkin' Donuts tastes so good? <laughs> well, I think no, but I think <laughs> I think that's why I do the cold stuff because like if they made their last batches of coffee respectively for like hot and cold at five in the at five in the previous afternoon, then I'm good at drinking it at two thirty when it's cold. You can't really cold's just gonna sit, you know what I mean? Hot coffee's gonna do who knows what. Right. Well, if you can maintain that schedule, you have the endurance to certainly run a half marathon. But I want to talk to you about your about your commute. That's an incredibly long time to be in the car. So what do you do? Are you a music guy? Are you a podcast guy? What do you do to pass the time? Because that sounds like it would really wear on you having to drive in and drive back all the time. Well, it's kind of um, like it definitely limits. Like I'm not going to watch West Coast NBA games. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm out by that. Like, I'm I'm lights out by nine. So, nine. I'm hopefully getting like four solid hours of sleep at night, and then uh, and then get. It. So for me, like to pass the time in the car on the drive down, it's get caught up in everything I miss. You know, so like I'm on satellite radio a ton, um, Sports Center all night. Shout out Jay Reynolds. Uh, I'm, I'm listening to him a lot because that's sort of way to get caught up. And then yeah, and then podcast. Uh, present company included and i'll listen to uh you know like these folks that i used to you know listen to to tc uh freeze pop sorry uh you almost called me your boy tc fresh i mean either way it works you know get caught up on on what what he's got going on and um listen to to ryan in his now two podcast and uh listen to uh matt barry our friend matt barry has a golf podcast with uh, michael collins i listen to that and like you know i yeah, it's a way to sort of like get caught up on everything and also stay awake. To be perfectly honest, so um, yeah, I'm not. I'm on Sports Overload. Like somebody told me before I went to ESPN, it was like 
you have to love sports. And I was like, all right, cool, check. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like, you may think you love sports, but you need to be able to work in the Disney world of sports and not get sick of it. And I was like, yeah, I got that. Because I'm still doing it on my own on, you know, my three and a half hours in the car every day. Oh, I'm the exact same way. Yesterday I did the show and then I go home and I'm I'm prepping for the next day's show so that I can watch the, you know, CS games early. And then in the interim, yeah. I'm, I'm listening because the NBA just started. I'm trying to listen to all these various podcasts to get me set for the NBA season. And then last night, I'm so, so tired and I just want to go to bed. But that ALCS game was so good, I couldn't turn oh, it off. Man. And I thought to myself, yeah. I either am really dedicated to my job or I have a true sickness that this is what I do all day. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, you're so ask ask uh, certain friends of ours. Like it, your social life can can take a hit if you're just if you're just in your basement. You know, if you're spending like a good chunk of your prime, right? Your uh, marketable prime on the dating scene, and you're spending <laughs> night shout, after shout night in the, in the basement. Like you know, but it makes you great at your job. It makes you great at your job, and it makes you better prepared than anybody else in the building. And you know, look what it can look what it can lead to. So like for me, like I was lucky enough to meet my wife early. We were, I remember getting her a cake for her. We were just dating, right? Like new dating. So I got her a real small cake for her 25th birthday. And I was like, Hey, you're in Florida. I'm in Florida. None of us, neither one of us is from here. We don't have many friends. Our family aren't here, but your birthday is still something worth celebrating, you know? And like doing that and feel like that was a pretty big swing. And so, like, I can sort of afford to be a sports nerd now, you know? Like, it would cost her a lot of money in legal fees to divorce this sports nerd, you know? Okay, hold on. So you guys were not dating, and you said, hey, we don't have family here, so I'm going to celebrate your birthday with you? That's an incredibly smooth move, Randy. Well, I had a thing for her. I mean, it was not like just, hey, this poor girl, she's alone on her birthday. It was like, wow, why is this poor girl alone? She's a 12. Like, what is going on? And she's funny and she'll talk to me and she laughed at my joke about like she went to a, um, a women's college, like an all women's college. Um, the year was 1879. No, <laughs> um, but she went to, she went to well, she turned butter in her spare time. <laughs> she, I had to get permission from her father to even speak <laughs> with her. Um, but she went to this women's college and I knew that I knew it was a women's college. And so she tried to dismiss like, Oh, like where are you from? And that's like, sorry, this is very, off topic for a second, but no, like, it's that's great. part of the cool thing and why I sometimes feel sorry for people who sort of like always worked at ESPN. Like, oh yeah, like I was, I was this, and now I'm that, and now I'm doing this. And like, they worked their way up and they're at this like, you know, great position, but they never did the small market TV thing. Yeah. Because for me, that's just sort of like, it's easy to romanticize now, but like, and I'm sure back then it was really super, super tough um, making no money. And, still paying off debts and whatever else, but you're in the same boat with everybody. Like there are very few established people making more than like 20,000 a year at, um, in like Fort Myers, Florida in at the beginning of one of the worst recessions ever, in like 06. And so like, you're going to, <laughs> you're going out after shows because everybody's still in their early twenties and you're going out, but you're going to places where there are drink specials. So like, you're not getting bottle service, you know, you're getting like, buckets of beer to share and then it's okay this bar's closing where can we go and that's where i met my wife i met her at a, at a pool party after like a high school football friday night and 
Um, I was, yeah, where are you from? And I'm from Connecticut. It's like, oh, you're not from Florida either. Said, no, no. It's like, yeah, so this is kind of, kind of interesting. She's like, oh, just wait. I've, I've been here three months. I've seen, she was a news reporter. She's like, I've seen stuff I never thought I'd see. And I was like, uh, where'd you go to school? And Wellesley, I said, oh, my uncle went there. And she rolled her eyes and she, I almost, I almost lost it like there. And she goes, I think you're thinking of Wesley. And I was like, no, I was, I was joking. I know it's an all women's college. I was like, Hillary Clinton went there. And she's like, oh. And then she laughed, touched my arm. What? Flexed, you're in. Yeah. Flexed at the right time. So she thought it was always like that. And the rest is history. But that's an amazing story. And for those listening who don't know who Randy Scott's wife is, I, this is always one of my funniest Randy anecdotes is that when you first started filling in on radio, I was very fired up because I had obviously watched you on SportsCenter in the morning. I knew you were really funny, and I was excited to work with you. But everyone else was like, oh, my God, do you know Randy's wife, Shannon? Like, she is unbelievable. She's like a, like a New England celebrity that has this cult following. And all yeah. these people from ESPN who are from Connecticut or from the Boston area were like, oh, my God, can you believe Randy's wife? We love her. Yeah, yeah. I, well, we mentioned three spots. Like, he was, he was into it. And he had, I think... I think some. I think he claimed someone as a joke put one of her like promotional headshots or like uh, you know a bio like online bio pictures or something like that like as his computer desktop background picture and someone did it to mess with him but he never changed it so like I saw it like the day it happened and it was like oh was very funny very funny and then like two months later I wasn't even on the show and I'm like walking by the studio and it's still on his computer and i was like oh okay yeah we're gonna talk about this next time i'm filling in for canal or whomever we're yeah we're gonna talk about this yeah i can confirm that your wife was freeze pops's computer screensaver for several months several <laughs> because i used to sit behind him in the studio and every time he would minimize something i'd be like you gotta get randy's wife <laughs> off your screensaver it started to be funny and now it's just weird and then he'd be like what i'm a big fan big fan yeah well, so was Kat. You remember Kat? Oh, of Over, course. She was the she was just super like, fan. She's cool. Yeah, she's like, she's, she's like, wait a minute, that's your wife? Because she doesn't have our last name on the air. She goes by a different, she goes by like her, her uh, birth name on the air. And like, so he, Kat never put it together. She's like, she's like, my mom and I, we watch her all the time. We love her. It's like, she's, she's hilarious. She's sneaky funny. She's like, I can't believe, and it, honestly, I got, so Kat looked me up and down and was like, <laughs> that's your wife like that and i was like well i didn't know i'd be auditioning i didn't know i had to wear a tuxedo like if i'd known i was like auditioning for for your right to think i had my own wife like i probably would have dressed better and shaved my face well i i feel like having such an amazing wife has definitely given you some street cred you know it, it ups you a couple points when people are like all right randy yeah. scott yes <laughs> yeah i'll take like that guy's actually okay to be around um but she's she's a sports fan like i had a, I had a um college professor once that was like don't date and or marry anybody in the business. Just don't do it because do you know how hard it is to get it? You like take how difficult it is to get a TV job and multiply it by trying to get someone else the same job in the same market. You know, like it's just because you're going to move around so much and you're going to live in different places, whatever else that it's just not sustainable to think that two people in the same business are going to do that. And I'm just really glad that I, ran through that stop sign because like we've been incredibly fortunate but it also like you know she's not working for the bristol news you know like she's right. 
so we we live 110 miles away, so she can work where she works, and I can, you know, push the outer limits of working at ESPN. And like, it just it helps when, like, because I've had co-workers, I'm sure you did too, at ESPN, where it's like, oh, my husband doesn't, my husband's giving me crap for having to go in and work on a weekend. Well, that's that's when sports happens, you know. Like it happens at night, it happens on the weekend. There's breaking news. Your shows go long. Like it's not a clock in, clock out, nine to five job. And to me, you have to have someone in the business. Or uh, you have to at least have someone who respects that part of it, you know? Like, that isn't going to begrudge you the fact that you sort of are on call more often than not. Oh, definitely. I mean, I I remember when I was dating someone before, he would be like, why are you on your phone all of the time? And I'm like, because in the 30 minutes I was off my phone, we got 72 emails. I've missed six score updates. You know, it's breaking news on Twitter. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's kind of this never ending news cycle. And kind of what we mentioned before, you have to have this sickness almost where you, where you are like, yes, I need more of this. Like, I love it. Give it to me. But one of the things that I always really appreciated about you and that, you know, I kind of am searching for in a way is that being in this industry for a while, I feel like I've lost my fandom, which is a problem. You know, the Cardinals and the Blues, as much as I love them, it's become a job now. You know, you have to look at it through a different prism. And with the Rams leaving, it's different. And, you know, I went to Illinois. Our football team and our basketball team are not good. It's just it's more torture for me to to be really invested in it than it is positive. But watching you as a Caps fan go through the postseason, the playoffs, the Stanley Cup final, and watch the Caps bring home the Stanley Cup. I lived vicariously through you. It was very awesome to see you and all these other Caps fans get to experience that. And hopefully one day I get the same thing with the Blues. Yeah, I, I feel like, um, I mean, thank you for saying that, because like, I, I really tried not to be annoying with it. And, like, there, there's a... There's a line. There's a line somewhere, and it's it's moved since I've been at ESPN. But like, because I remember early on, it was like, "Hey, you are a thousand percent neutral. You are a, you know, reporter. You're an anchor. You're whatever it is. You're not a fan." And then at some point since I've been at ESPN, and it's almost seven years now, it's, "Hey, you're a fan. That's why you work here, and you're talking to fans. So as long as you don't rile anybody up, and you know, as long as you aren't speaking poorly about another team's fan base because of your own fandom, like." You can let some of your some of your colors show, and I feel like a great example of that was always Jay Crawford, because um, Jay was Mister and is still Mister Cleveland. I mean, he's Mister Cleveland Sports, and for so long, that was such a tortured existence. And for him to sort of, I don't want to say he broke down that wall, because I think everybody, everybody knew Linda Cohn is a Rangers fan. Yeah, um, you know, there, there are certain examples of it, and like Kevin DeGandhi is a big Philly fan, Philly everything fan. So, but I feel like Jay Crawford handled it the probably, like, the best early on. Never let it get in the way of reporting a story. Uh, I feel like if there was ever a problem at Ohio State, like with Jim Trestle, like, Jay's fandom never precluded him from reporting on that story, and that's always the goal. Like, you want to maintain your credibility first, and then if you can connect with a fan on that fandom level, second, like, that's that's valuable. And so, so for me, like, the Caps thing, um, it's been really... It, it's been really uh, like emotional, honestly, because um, I was always like, we moved around, and I get crap from my sports fandom because I'm a Caps fan, I'm a Raiders fan, and I'm a Braves fan. It's like, how does that happen? And my smart-ass reply to it is, oh, I'm sorry that my dad was in the Navy defending your freedom to criticize my sports fandom, and we moved around so much. But that's sort of what it was. It was like I would pick up teams 
where we lived. And I became a hockey fan when we were when I was in probably middle school, and the Caps were there, and that was it, right? And they had some ugly uniforms, these like blue uniforms. They were awful. But my mom was a Caps fan. My mom would jump in with both feet, no matter where we lived, to like what was going on. And she was a Redskins season ticket holder, and she was a Caps fan. She's been to more games than I still has been to more games than I have. And uh, you know, I used the past tense because we lost her in December of 2016, uh, pretty pretty suddenly. And like from then on, it was sort of like just when they they got so close. Well, honestly, they were close before that, but when they finally won. It was just like they beat Pittsburgh first, and that was the one where it was so cathartic because we never beat Pittsburgh. There, they never beat Pittsburgh, right? And and then I was I was really happy, and I kind of got emotional on Sports Center um, doing that highlight. And the director popped popped us up on camera, and uh, I was working with Sage, and I was working with Nicole Briscoe, and they were like, "I love how into this you are. It's so great." And I was like, "Well, I just think my mom would have really loved it." And we just talked about it for a second, and then that was it. And I got such nice tweets, like. You know, Pittsburgh's not the best sports fan base, um, and they were so nice about it. Penguins fans are like, sucks to lose, but I love how happy it is. You know, sorry about your mom. and like that. It was all very, very positive, very nice. And then when they won the Cup, like, I was a mess. I was just like, wow, I wish she was here to see it, and I'm so glad. And so it's just like that, that part of the Caps thing for me, and I realized I wasn't alone. Like, I tweeted about it, and these other people were like, yeah, my dad would love it. He was a season ticket holder in the 80s, and you just sort of like can connect with people on that level too. And it was just the Caps thing. Like, I know it's probably obnoxious to a lot of other hockey fans in terms of how they celebrated, but I, uh, I, I wouldn't have changed anything, uh, any, any part of it. But I think you sharing that and thank you for doing so. It's just indicative of why this job is what it is and why sports has become what they've become because it's not just, oh, yeah, we like to see greatness night in and night out, which we do. I mean, there's the hero complex part to all of this as well. Oh, yeah. But it's because sports connects us to our families and our communities and it taps into this part of us that it becomes this massive tapestry of our lives. You know, I'm into sports because of my dad, just like you and your mom had that Caps connection. I can yeah. close my eyes and picture my dad barbecuing on our back deck and me listening to Jack Buck on KMOX call Cardinals games. <laughs> Jack yeah. Buck is the narrator of my childhood, you know, and that's it's not because I love Jack Buck and know him personally, but he means something to me and the Cardinals mean something to me because of my dad. And, you yeah. know, that's why we do what we do. And, and we love sports is because of things like that. So I was, you know, for so many reasons, so fired up for you and for the Caps. And like I said, hopefully one day the blues will get there and just seeing the caps break through that wall i was like you know if if philly can do it if the caps can do it if the cubs can do yeah. it the blues will get one eventually right oh yeah absolutely you're one of like I, 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 i'm obviously not telling you something you don't know like you're one of the great sports cities left in this country and there aren't as many as there used to be um that not only like where the fans are knowledgeable and not just rabid you know what I mean? Where I, I think you know the difference. Yes. And you've got both. Like, you've got these, like, lifelong fans who know their stuff and then and, and care, care so much, which why the, the Rams' whole debacle hurt so much, I'm sure, is like, you didn't deserve that. Of, of all fan bases, you're going to do that to St. Louis? Are you serious? So, um, so the, the Blues part, like, I can't imagine what the parade route would be, what it would look like, but... It's it's a fan base that like certainly deserves that. And Lord, I, listen, the Cardinals have, have delivered time and again, and I'm sure they will 
again, maybe even before the Blues do, but it's coming. It's it's coming, and that's coming from someone who thought it was never going to happen. Well, I don't know how much you've been paying attention to the Blues, Randy, but they're off to quite the rocky start. So yeah, I don't yeah, know if this yeah. is the season it'll well, happen, but <laughs> maybe hopefully before well, I die, maybe my grandkids will see it. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, but maybe there'll be a few more Cardinal titles in between them now to tide you over. I mean, I certainly hope so, but missing the postseason three straight years is not something St. Louis is accustomed to here in, uh, in baseball heaven, I'll tell you that. It's true. It's more toasted ravioli time, you know, instead of baseball time. I love it. Okay, so we talked about <laughs> about revealing that personal side of yourself, and one of yeah. the things that we used to do on Rasil and Canal, especially when Ryan would have that rotating cast of hosts, is just really draw in the personal um, different you know intricacies of each of the co-hosts. And one of the things we revealed about you is actually one of the things we got the most feedback on ever, and that's that you have this this sneaky comedy career. And I don't think people realize that, you know, on your way to becoming a sports center star at ESPN, that you were actually a stand-up comic. I don't, well, I think you're hanging fast and loose with the term career because <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was not, it was, it was like the better part of two years. And yeah, like, so, um, God, I remember that day. Cause I remember Ryan's head snapping around being like, wait a minute, you did stand up comedy. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, what do you mean? Like an open mic night? I was like, yeah, and then two more years after that, <laughs> and then we and then we started talking about because it, it wasn't because then it's like right away on the spot. Give me your best joke, and it's like I haven't done this for I mean like eight years, probably maybe more. And what can I say on the radio that's safe? Yeah, and, and a lot that's of it the key. Ti- Don't get us fired. You know, yeah, a lot of it was timely for like '09 in Florida. <laughs> you know how's that going to resonate? Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, so I was in like uh, like Fort Myers is uh, where I met my my wife and she got a job in Tampa out of there and that was like a big I mean it was a big market jump it was like a fifty probably a fifty market jump and she was like do you want to go and I didn't have a job lined up but I wanted to, to go because they were starting to cut down sports departments like we had we had two people in our department and now they don't even do sports there and so I could sort of see the writing on the wall and like moved up there and then I was on you know I was going to like temp agencies, try to find jobs, try to find work, because I still had student loans and a car payment, whatever else. And uh, and I was like, oh, there's an open mic night at the Tampa Improv in Ybor City in, in Tampa. And I was like, oh, and first prize is 100 bucks. Like, all right, five minutes. Okay. Well, I got to practice. So I went to Side Splitters Comedy Club in North Tampa, and I did an open mic night, and I loved it. Like, it was such a rush, and it was so, like, sink or swim. You get a flashlight from the bartender when your time is up, like, stick the landing sort of thing. It was kind of like doing a TV live shot, only you had to be funny the whole time. So I did that, and then I was like, all right, this seemed to work. This didn't. I'll try the improv. So I did one night practice, then I went to the improv, did five minutes, and I won, I won, the, I won the night. So I won 100 bucks on my, on my, like, second time going up. And I drove home, and my wife got off the 11 o'clock news, came home. She, she was reporting, and she comes home, and I was wired. And she could tell, you know, I was like, you drinking Dunkin' Donuts for the first time. And I was like, I want to do this. And she goes, whoa, wait a minute, what? <laughs> like, I got 100 bucks for five minutes. That is escort money. I could do this. She was like, no, you can't. You know that, what that life is? Like, you're driving, you're flying, you're blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's go. She's like, no, then you would never be here. She's like, I don't think you should do this. 
I was like, what if I do it just around Tampa? She's like, great. So I did, like, around other temp jobs and around, like, being on unemployment for a couple of months and freelancing for any TV station that needed me for, like, spring training or Bucks camp or, um, like, there was enough sports journalism-wise that paid a little bit to where I could, like, I think my tax returns for '09 were, I think I made, like, 8700 bucks. Uh, one night was at Coconuts Comedy Club. <laughs> these names, the names of these clubs, but like Coconut Comedy Club in Brandon, Florida, which was in a ballroom, using that term really loosely, uh, <laughs> a ballroom of the Best Western in Brandon that had a Beefo Brady's in the lobby. So you can only imagine the crowds and just like the numbers that would turn out. I remember doing a show, quote unquote, where I was the middle for six people at one table. So there was a there was an opener, there was a middle, maybe ten minutes, no big deal, and then the headliner. So for six people, my share was like, I think my share was like four or five bucks, and that was it, and that was the night. So like, it was not a lucrative thing. It was a lot of fun. I got to the point where I got to. I got up on the improv stage again, um, but I got like 20 minutes of stuff. And I thought when we moved to Boston, I was like, yep, I'm going to try in Boston. And then uh, I think the week I was going to go to, no, the week before I was going to go to an open mic night, which were harder to come by in Boston um, at anywhere where you could get stage time. Well, I got a, I got an audition at Nesson. Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, let's do this. Let's see what this, like this was a chance at full-time sports and, uh, got the audition, got the job, and never came back to it. Wow, that's the universe telling you something, isn't it? <laughs> like, I still will, my wife will roll her eyes because I'll, like, something will happen and I'll just be talking with her in the kitchen and we'll sort of joke around and I'll sort of take it an extra couple of steps and she's like, you're working out, are you working out a bit right now? Are you working <laughs> out a bit? And I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. And she's like, yeah, that's sort of like a reminder, like, you're not, you don't do that. We don't, you don't do that anymore, you know? But, We'll still, like the other day with Matt Barry on SportsCenter, we got to do Looks Like with, uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. The day, the day he looked like Conor McGregor. Right. And we just ad-libbed that and had fun with it. So, like, there's still, there's obviously enough at ESPN where you can sort of wet your, uh, your comedy or, or creativity, you know, whistle, so to speak. Well, I think you just put a pin in that part of your life, Randy. And then, you know, you yep. can always bring it back. I heard those <laughs> 09 Floridian jokes still play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. I'm trying to think if there's any that I can even say on, like, I mean, there was one about, like, this is, okay, there's one about Bill Clinton going to rescue um, a female journalist who's being held in, like, North Korea. Do you remember that? Like, again, this is, like, super topical for odd months in 09, you know? <laughs> or, like, Tiger Woods, I think when Tiger Woods got hit by his, by his wife, you know, like, chased out of his house by his wife. Like, it, like jokes like that, where it's, like, I can't do that now. That's so. There's probably hack back then. Like I can't. I can't do that now. Well, I think you're hilarious, Randy, and you should obviously revisit that at some point. But <laughs> well, um, I appreciate that. To wrap this up, let's let's stick with the comedy thread here. I need you to put on yeah. your white wig. I need you to judge some people because you know we oh. have a lot of characters in sports who think that they're funny, and a lot of times I think, do you really have a good comedy chops here, or is your star power and the fact that you're poking fun at yourself just making people laugh at you? So I'm going to okay. list some athletes, and you tell me if they're hilarious or corny. All right. 
oh, there's no middle ground, just one or the other. I mean, if you really want to be nice and give an explanation as to why there's a middle ground, fine. But we're trying to judge here. We're not trying to make friends. Okay. All right. All right. First one on the list, Joel Embiid, one of our favorite Twitter follows. Yeah. Hilarious. I think he's hilarious, hilarious too. That. Yeah. I, he's, he, yes. He needs to continue. Just like his game needs to evolve, his comedy needs to evolve. But for now, it's hilarious. It's a breath of fresh air. And you know why I think he's genuinely hilarious is because he's tweeting in real time. It's it's not like someone's handing him a script and we're seeing him in this curated, you know, commercial form. This is just him oh, and his thoughts. Like chopping chopping tomatoes and wishing Drew Brees congratulations. Uh, next on the list, Peyton Manning. I'm afraid it's in it's in the corny realm. I and I I loved his his Saturday Night Live. Like when he was on when he was on SNL, that was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know he had this. You know what I mean? I didn't know he had this personality. and But that was like, I want to say that was almost 10 years ago. And I just don't, I don't see any growth. You know, I, need, I need my quarterbacks to grow. I need them to improve. You need to see that progression, right? Yes. But see, the thing with Peyton, you know, when he did that thing for Drew Brees, everyone's like, oh my God, so funny. Did you see Peyton's video? I was like, I don't think it was very funny. It, it Because it wasn't, Michelle. <laughs> it was not funny. And it's like, don't like why Peyton are you making this about you? This is you're congratulating Drew Brees and you're trying to make make this a Peyton so funny thing instead of a Drew Brees just shattered one of my records thing. You know, I I don't know. I just I think maybe I'm a little Peyton out. I am too. But his funny moments are also curated. It's him in the commercials. I'm like he didn't write that. Someone's telling him when when and how to <laughs> deliver that line. You know, and then you'd see him in, in the media scrums, and he'd be like, "Yeah, tell your wife I said hello, Randy," and everyone would laugh. And you're like, "No, no, you're just laughing because Peyton Manning knows my first name." Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Peyton, there is something to be said for the delivery. Like, yeah, he did write it, obviously, but. I bet Peyton's also that guy on the commercial set where he's like, oh, where's the, where, where's the rider? I want to talk to the rider. And then he'll bring him over and be like, I was thinking maybe here, you know, I'd do, I'd maybe do this. And then, and then Brad Paisley could, could do this. Well, well, you know, like he, he strikes me as someone who tries to give notes and the creative types are like, yeah, that's cool. Um, why don't you just shut up and read what I wrote? How about that? Is that, does that work? Yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, tell you how to construct routes, Peyton. Yeah, I'm not trying to Omaha you. Why don't you try to just read what I wrote? All right, next one. We've seen him on on the silver screen, but is LeBron James funny? Oh, um, I think he is. I think he is funny. I don't think he's hilarious, though. I, that's why I'm, like, striking a middle ground. Like, I think he's funnier than not. I just think, like, he um, takes himself... Like you don't get to be a mogul by not taking yourself seriously. Mm-hmm. So I get, so I get the need to be credible and like, you know, like I, the school is obviously a, a crazy accomplishment. Like I, so I just I haven't seen him be silly since like early heat days. But when he was doing some of that stuff, like what was that thing that was like really hot for a summer where it was uh, flash mobs, but it was to a certain song. Do you remember that? Oh, um, there's so many of them. They happen all the time. But, yes, I know exactly right. what you're talking about. But, I, but and, and so, like, the whole Heat locker room did it, and it was, and he was the funniest part of it. And, I, and it's because he's making funny faces, and he just totally, like, lost himself in it, didn't take himself seriously at all. Like, that LeBron I know is still there. We just haven't seen it in a while. Uh, so I would say he's still, 
he's still, I'll go hilarious. If that's actually hilarious or corny, I'll, I'll still go hilarious. Okay, um, I'm with you, and this is a really weird barometer that I have, but I, I also often find if the cool players on the team like you, that you probably have a little bit of funny in you because you can dish it out to people and, and take it back. And it just seems like all the players, well, not all of them, but most of them really like LeBron, so I think he probably has that self-deprecating humor. And by the way, I Googled yeah. it. It was the Harlem Shake. Harlem Shake, thank you. I knew, yeah. I knew that was going to bother both of us until we did it. <laughs> Okay, yes. last one, Mike Tyson, hilarious or corny? Ah, uh, man, Hangover was so good, um, but that was ten years ago. Uh, bah, bah, bah. What's he done since then? Anything funny since then? So like, I- if you haven't done anything funny in ten years, are you hilarious? <laughs> I don't know. See, the thing with Mike Tyson that confuses me with that line is I saw his stand-up show, and I thought he was really good. But then I thought to myself, am I just laughing at him because of the way he says things? Or, you know, is, is his delivery yeah. funny, or is he actually funny? That I couldn't delineate. That's true. But, like, I mean, couldn't you say the same about, like, Mitch Hedberg? Like, is Mitch Hedberg stuff, like, all that funny, or is it how he delivers it? Like, I feel like that's a skill in its own right, you know? That's like, do true. I need a receipt? Do I need to prove that this transaction took place for this donut? Like, me saying that's not funny, but him doing it is fun. So, like, I'll go hilarious for Mike Tyson because you're right. The roast, he's been on some of these Comedy Central roasts, and that's he's been really good on those. So, yeah, I'll go, I'll go hilarious for Iron Mike. Awesome. Well, Randy, thanks so much for doing this. It was so fun to catch up with you. I'm so bummed that I didn't get to see you when I was in Bristol, but that just means I'll have to make another trip up to Connecticut and drink iced coffee with you. That's perfect. Yes, iced coffee, middle of winter. It's on me. Be a fan cast. <laughs> uh, book it. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Randy. Okay. All right. Thanks, Walt. Well, before we get to the reviews and the call to action, as we do at the end of every pod, we had to bring Freeze Pops back on to defend his name because Randy and I revealed that Tom had a pretty epic troll job, or I don't know if it, if it was one of those things where it's a troll job, but you really mean to do it. You actually like what you're doing. You know what I mean? Where he had, as his screensaver at ESPN, Randy Scott's wife for, I don't know, Tom, what, two or three months? Yeah, I mean, I was committed to the bit there. Let's let's not get it twisted here. I, I knew it would make Randy feel a little uncomfortable, and then I was like, you know what? I kind of like this background, and I sort of just stuck with it. So, uh, you know, if that offended Randy in any way, uh, I'm sorry, but I had uh, Shannon Miller as my background for, yeah, I think it was, what, four months? It was Something an excessive like amount of time. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> I mean, look, sometimes you got to commit to the bit, Michelle, and that's what I did. Well, you know what, Tom, though? You said that you wanted to do that to make Randy uncomfortable, but Randy (laughs) filled in once and then again probably three months later. So for the duration of that time, his wife was your screensaver. So it's really not about Randy at that point. (laughs) Yeah, you know. You bring up a good point here. You bring up a good point. <laughs> you know, but like we mentioned with Randy, a lot of people at ESPN and in the New England area, big fans of his wife. Yeah, she does a great job. I'm a big fan of her work. <laughs> big fan. Okay, well, just like we do every week, if you haven't already, head to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, leave a review for Small Talk. Here's one from Cal Queen. 
I really hope I didn't butcher that name. I'm sorry. Um, it sounds like you butchered that name. Probably. So my apologies. Thank you in advance for all of this after I butchered your name. Uh, subject line. I'm so happy. Five stars. I heard a shout out for this podcast on the Rosillo pod, and I'm so glad to catch up with Michelle and the post-show pod squad. I loved it back in the day, and I'm thrilled you guys are still rolling it along. Thank you so much. I would say your name again, but I don't want to, um, you know, just do it in injustice twice. But yeah, if you haven't done it already, again, Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, leave a review. Do it. <sighs> All right. Well, thanks again to Randy Scott. Thanks, as always, to Tommy Freeze Pops, who, honestly, these phone conversations are dwindling. He's going to be in studio here with me before we know it. Don't know how yeah. that's going to play out, but really looking forward to it. Oh, my God. You guys are going to get so sick of me so fast. That's going to happen. I guarantee it. <laughs> um, but until next week, good night, Boston. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.